welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. I was quite ready for y'all to be done yet. Can we give it up again for the all men worship team? I hope that we get to see that again sometime because that was that was special an experience. Um, yeah, I just feel like let's just let's just pray and just uh, in an attitude of submission, just. Even put your hands up and, and, and surrender. Say, Lord, uh, we agree with the words of that song. We surrender all. And we do that because you're a good, good father who has shown himself worthy of our all, of everything. And so right now, we ask that you would help us in a posture of submission and in a posture of openness, allow your spirit to speak to us and through us so that we can give you all the glory that you deserve in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, glad that you're here again for those who might be here with us the first time i'm rasul one of the pastors here our lead pastor james is still on sabbatical and a week into having three daughters uh with the arrival of little sophia last weekend and uh yeah so that, what a fitting way and speaking of which since he's a new father happy father's day again to the men to the fathers and uh, man, uh, we're just so excited. I, I want all the fathers, right? You have a kid or kids. Please st stand up and, and, and come up here for a second. Come up here, men, men, come on up. Fathers, fathers, come on up. Come on, come on. I got something for you. You believe me, you wanna come out. We have a gift for you and uh, we want to honor you today. Yes, if you are a father, just come up. <laughs> You're like, man, this was unexpected. Well, we are just grateful for you, and we wanted just to be able to honor you today because you are heroes. Yeah. You are heroes. We need you in the home. We need you uh, to, to lead you know, your children. And because you're heroes, we want to give you a gift of a free movie ticket to Fandango to see the hero of your choice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, is that cool? So here you go. We are so excited that you came and joined us. Yes. Okay. I, I said, we might have another father in the house. Another father? We, oh, there you go. There you go. There we go. All right. Here you go. Let's give it up for him one more time. Thank you, men. Yeah, you guys can have your seat. So, it's always good to see the the father's up and standing up and representing, so that's great. Well, we're continuing on in our series in the book of James. And today, the, the emphasis and the topic is gonna be faith beyond words, beyond belief in particular. So remember that James is a small book, four chapters, 104 verses, and out of those 104 verses, there are 80 commands. And so it's really, it's also called the, 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 the Proverbs of the New Testament, the book of James is. And who is James? Well, we talked a little bit about him last week, that James was the brother of Jesus. And he got the chance to see Jesus up close and personal, doing things to demonstrate who his identity was and, and who he really was. And so we realized that James was all about that action. He is, he's primarily concerned with and thinking about, okay, you say you believe some stuff, so what are you going to do about it? He's that person in the room that hears a problem and says, well, what are we going to do? That was, that's James's emphasis, that's his focus. And in chapter two, 
he examines this issue of faith. And in it, James describes two different types of faith. In the passage, we're gonna look at two verses 14 through 25, so you can kind of go there now. He describes two types of faith, dead faith and dynamic faith. And he says, look, it's important for you to understand which, because there's two types, which one you have and, and which one really matters. So he says there's dead faith and then there's dynamic faith. And so, interestingly, he just jumps right in into verse 14 and, and he starts to ask a series of questions to kind of illuminate his point. You ever had somebody that just start asking you questions to get to a point? <laughs> Sometimes that could be a little annoying, but you know, it's all good when James does it. So in James 2, verse 14, he asks the question, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? He asks these two questions, and, and these are what we call rhetorical questions. As we can see by the next thing that he says, he already knows the answer to the question he's asking. Because in verse 15, he goes on, he sets the picture with an analogy. He gives the illustration. He says, okay, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And how about y'all just answer the question for me. What good is that? No good. It's pointless. It's worthless. And so he says, all right, so in the same way that that doesn't do anything and it doesn't mean anything, that answers the, next, the first two questions I asked, which was, what good is it if you have faith without works? No good. Can that faith save him? No. And so James kind of just, he just comes right out the gate. And he says, look, it's, it's as if someone is sitting there starving in the street and you see someone, and he says brother or sister. So the context of this, earlier in chapter two, he deals with the issue of favoritism in the church because there was a problem where he says, look, there's somebody that comes in the room, there's some people and they look nice and they seem wealthy and as a result, you tell them that you escort them to the front. You give them the VIP section. But then there's some poor people that come in. There's some homeless people that come in. They might smell a little. They, might, they don't have anything. You tell them to sit in the back. And so he says, look, you, this, this should not be. This is discrimination. It's wrong because we're all created in the eyes of God equally. And so you need to stop. So now he revisits that analogy that he just made and says, look, so one of the brothers or sisters that I just talked to you about that's in the congregation, you happen to see out in the street and they're starving and they don't have anything to eat. So get this, he's not saying just a random stranger. He's saying somebody that they know. So it's like, look, I see Rich and he's just sitting out on Junction just struggling and I go up to him and I say, hey, be warm and filled. You know what, I'm gonna pray for you, brother, that you have something to eat. And, and James is saying, you don't need to pray. The answer to the question is already, he does have something to eat. It's in your fridge. He does have clothes to wear. It's in your closet. And he says, look, you, you, this is the first type of faith that he's talking about. This is fake, dead faith. It's dead faith, it's fake. That's what he said. This isn't really faith at all. And so he concludes in verse 17, and this is what he wraps up with. So also, by itself, if it does not have works, this type of faith is dead. And that's the first point of the two. There's two types of dead faith, and the first one, that dead faith is fake. <laughs> see, it, it, see, it's is saying the right things, but it's doing nothing about it. If I have the means to do something and to change in such a way and I don't, then that's not really faith, I'm sorry. And see, and we saw this, many of us, raise your hand if you participated in a known campaign, right? You know, so we got some folks out here and, and there was this picture, so the known campaign was this, this, this campaign where we went out 
into the streets to minister to homeless people by giving them hoodies in the cold, giving them toiletries, and having conversation and meeting them where they were. And the amazing thing is we would come back and debrief, debrief about it. We would see that, you know, it wasn't, it wouldn't have done anything just to go out there and say, hey, how are you doing? What's your name? Okay, I'm going to pray for you. And then keep it going. We had to give them something to demonstrate God's love. To demonstrate that we really cared. And so this is the problem with fake faith. Is that it talks a good game. It says all the right spiritual things. But it does nothing about it. Fake faith says the right things but does nothing. So let me, let, me, let me paint the picture of that, because that, you know, we all. So what that means is you can come up and say the right things when the song comes up. It's who you are. You're a good father. I surrender all. Yeah, that sounds real good coming out your mouth. But then when you leave, what does it come out in your actions? Do you surrender your paycheck? Do you surrender your relationships? Do you, you say, I surrender all. Do I surrender my mouth and my vocabulary when somebody gets me angry and upset? What am I surrendering? What's part of that all? See, dead faith that is fake is all about saying the right things but not doing the right things. Fake faith is dishonest. See, it, it ignores the disconnect between what I'm trying to say and what I'm espousing to be true and what's really going on in my heart. It's, it's a lie, it's, it's, it's a fraud, it's, it's like counterfeit money. It looks like the real thing, but it has no value. But not only is dead faith fake, but James also goes on to say dead faith is fickle. Dead faith is fickle. Look, in verse 218, in 19, he goes on, he says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. So he said, look, somebody will say, look, well, you know, you, you team faith over here, I'm team work, or I'm team work and you team faith, so you got that belief thing going on. And he says, look, this is what, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe and shudder. So James goes on and says, look, okay, faith that is dead is also fickle. Well, let me, what do I mean by fickle? This is what I mean by fickle. Here's the definition of fickle. It means likely to change, especially due to caprice, which basically just means casually changing, changeable, like the weather. We've had some fickle weather in the last couple months, right? You know, you, you got to change the, you know, look at, you change your clothes, bring like three sets of clothes with you to work because you don't know if it's going to get cold or it's going to get hot. He says, dead faith is fickle. And we see this, he says also that it's not constant or loyal in, in affections like a fickle lover. Someone said, I love you. You know I love you, girl. You're the only one for me. Hold on, I got another call on another line. Hey, what's up? I love you, girl. You know you're the only one for me. Oh, I didn't click over, my bad. <laughs> it says fickle faith, and we can't stand fickleness in some categories, but at the same time, and it's funny that we would talk about being fickle on a day like today. And I don't mean because it's Father's Day. I mean, there's a, a little game going on, a little basketball game going on a little bit later, right? And check it. There was an image that went viral a few years ago that painted a picture of this fickleness. It was a picture and it said, look, I didn't say I was a Heat fan, I said I'm a whatever Heat at fan. So, so basically what, the, what, this meme, what this meme was saying was that it's showing a picture of Riri and Riri was like, look, I'm representing, she's, she's flossing a, picture, a, a jersey of LeBron James's Miami Heat jersey. And, 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 and so many people were criticized who jumped on the Miami Heat bandwagon because many of those people are missing in action. 
I've seen their faces on the milk cartons in the grocery stores. Where are they? But see, it was like, they're not Heat fans, they're wherever Heat at fans. But here's the other irony of this. This meme was created by someone else who was fickle. He was at the time a New York Knicks player when he created this meme. Now, J.R. Smith is a wherever he at fan too. Because he plays for the Cavaliers with LeBron James, the very person he was mocking with the image. And so we live in a world in which people switch allegiance and fickle faith switches allegiance due to convenience. That's what fickle faith does. See, you know, it's like whenever it's convenient, it's like, okay, I'm on this squad, I'm on this team, and then when it switches up. Now, I know some folks here in the congregation will say, you know, I'm a LeBron James fan. (laughs) And I'm not coming at your neck. I'm just using the illustration. So, you know, it's all good. But, but, but just to kind of bring it back to the text, right? Because to bring it back to the text, he said, even the demons believe and they shudder. And they were in a personification of this fickle faith. Because see, way back in the day, they were team God. Back in the day, when it, they, they were created by God as angels and they worshiped God. But then what happened is they switched allegiances, switched jerseys, and joined Team Satan when they thought they could get something that was more convenient. And so now, these same beings that were created by God are his enemies in opposition to him because it was no longer convenient to worship him. And and it gets even, what's even crazier is that we see Jesus and, and, and their opposition to him very early in his ministry. In Luke chapter four, right after Jesus' baptism and he goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan and he comes out of that and he announces himself. So this is in the very beginning of his ministry. And he announces himself at the synagogue and at the synagogue, it says that a demon approaches him. He said, look, and in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon and and he cried out with a loud voice, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is bug, Look, look at what he says. He says, I know who you are. He, the demon identified Jesus and him being the Messiah before anybody else did. He says, I know who you are. But then he also says, but what have you to do with me? He, 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 he bucks up. I don't want to have nothing to do with you. So this is what the analysis in the anatomy of fickle faith is. Fickle faith is full of doctrine, but empty of devotion. Don't miss it. Demons had good theology. I know who you are, holy one of God. I've read the Bible. I know what the truth is. The issue with demons is not their theology. It's not their doctrine. It's their lack of devotion. What have you to do with us? Get out of my face. I don't want you to tell me what to do. And it's nothing has changed. Today, you could have all the right theology have studied all the books, have read the Bible cover to cover, but without devotion to go along with the doctrine, the faith is fickle. It's dead. It has no life. It is useless. James says that fickle faith is full of doctrine, but empty of devotion. But also fickle faith acknowledges God but does not submit to him. Oh yeah, God is real, yup. God is good all the time. You can't even help it, God all the time, God is good. But then you don't do nothing with it. Your life looks exactly the same as somebody, a demon who says, yeah, I believe that God is one. The theology was right but the doctrine, the, 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 the demonstration, the devotion was not. And see, there's lots of confusion about this today because we in the church have put such an emphasis on 
to explain grace and that there's nothing that we can do to be saved, that sometimes what people hear and what we communicate is that there's nothing you should do if you really are saved. But there's a difference. So yes, grace is a free gift of God, but it's not cheap. It costs something. We got artists now in hip hop that are saying that they got gospel albums, right? And there's debate going on, you know, Kanye's new album, he says it's gospel. Should we celebrate this as an accurate conversion? Well, you know what, James makes this very clear. He says, you know what, I don't even, I don't, I don't know Kanye personally, I haven't had a conversation with him. But this is what James says, he says, look, don't just look for the doctrine, look for the devotion. You can know a tree by its fruit. What kind of fruit is this tree bearing? That'll give you your answer. But don't be misled, do not be deceived that just because somebody says something doesn't mean that they are actually living out a devoted life to the God that they say that they acknowledge. But we don't have to go to Hot 97 to find fickle faith. We can find it right here in the church. We have to ask ourselves, am I devoted? Am I submitted to Jesus? See, submission says, I acknowledge your authority and I'm going to change my life to go along with the authority that I acknowledged. So if Jesus says, don't do this, then that means I don't do it. If he says, do that and keep doing it, that means it's really that simple. James is saying, look, real faith follows dynamic, dead faith just acknowledges, but there's no submission. But now, after this, so he's already said now, dead faith is fake, lip service, but no lifestyle. He says dead faith is fickle, it, it switches allegiance. Hey, team God, oh, I'm in prayer, you know, I, I might get uncomfortable and people, are, if they see me pray over my food, they may not like me anymore, so then it's just like, hey, what's up, y'all, and it's just keep it moving. You know, I saw a post uh, this week, a friend of ours who's a missionary, he's a pastor here locally, but he's from Nepal. And he mentioned in this, five days ago that there were several of his friends, eight of them in Nepal, which is just north of India, who were arrested and tortured because of their faith in Christ. And he had put out this cry and this plea, hey, yeah, pray, pray for these men because they are only being persecuted because of their faith. Praise God, a few days later, the judge, they had they sent an appeal, they were end up being released, and he showed the pictures of them walking out of the jail. And it made me think, hmm, would, would I do that? If the pressure was that intense, if the heat was that hot, would I be willing to allow myself to be tortured for my faith? That's dynamic faith. So in verse 20, he, he paints the picture more. He says, okay, so I showed you what dead faith looks like. It's, it's fickle, it's fake. Now I'm gonna give you a picture of living faith, dynamic faith. He says, do you not want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So, so he says, all right, now, 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 now this is what the real thing looks like. He said, consider Abraham. Let's, let's look at him. And he says, look, Abraham was our father. Now, James was writing to the Jewish diaspora around the world. These were Jewish people. And to Jewish people, Abraham was literally their ethnic father, their, their ancestor. And so he says, when he says our father, he's being literal there, but he also is talking to the Christian who Abraham is our father spiritually. Father Abraham and many sons and many sons have Father Abraham. Yeah, we know. And so, and why? Why was Abraham both the spiritual father of the Christian and the physical father of the Jew? Well, he explains right here with this moment. 
He says, was not our, Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now you gotta, again, rewind a little bit to know the context. Abraham was, his name was initially Abram, which meant exalted father. And here he was at 75 years old, walking around with the name exalted father with no sons or daughters. It was a source of shame and embarrassment for him. And in the midst of this, God appears to him and says, look, I am going to make you the father of many nations. And he tells him that in Genesis chapter 15. And he says, look, believe me. And he says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him right to a righteousness. But then what happens, fast forward, Sarah is now 90, not getting any younger. And it's like, yo, what are we going to do? I don't see anything happening. And miraculously, God shows up. This is for free and extra. Sometimes what God told you takes a while for it to come to fruition and for God to give birth to the vision. Just because he told you something today don't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. Because in God's timing, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. I don't know who that's for, but that just, that ain't in the notes. But so in any case, so Sarah finally gives birth to, to, to Isaac. And it's this incredible moment and, and they're celebrating and they're rejoicing. And now we fast forward, Isaac is a teenager. And, he, and Abraham wakes up one day and God says, all right, sacrifice your son on the altar for me. Build an altar on Mount Moriah, I'll meet you up there, and then kill the boy. The, 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 the boy that, that was the child of the promise, the, the, the boy that you told me that he would make me a, a, a father of many nations, huh? So Abraham goes up there, somewhat confused and, and holding on, but it's just like, I don't know how all this is gonna work, but I'm gonna do it. Now this isn't as strange as it sounds to us because Abraham was previously a pagan and in their culture and in their ritual religions, they routinely offered up children to their gods. And so this wasn't like random or crazy to Abraham, he just kind of hoped it wasn't gonna be with this God. But yet he goes up that mountain and he hikes up there and he ties Isaac down, as far as we can tell, Isaac didn't fight, and he raises up his knife. And then in that moment, God says, okay, I've tested your faith, and I see that it's authentic. There's a ram in the bush. Don't harm the boy. Dynamic faith doesn't just believe, but it also trusts God. It trusts God, even when it can't see how this is going to work itself out. The amazing thing is we see in Hebrews that it says that Abraham reckoned and he just kind of thought in his mind, well, I guess if he causes me to kill him, then he's going to raise him right back up from the dead. That was the type of faith Abraham had. Because I know he said that I'm going to be a father of many and he already did this miracle by seeing 90-year-old Sarah give birth and 90-some-year-old Abraham be able to do what they had to do on a certain father. That was a happy Father's Day. <laughs> Two people in their 90s. And yet, it says that, so he didn't know how, but he just trusted God in the midst of it. He didn't know how. See, we need to, see, today we like to know all the details and understand how something's going to happen. Sometimes you just don't know. And God doesn't give you all the steps to the way. He just said, trust me. But then dynamic faith sacrifices for convictions. Abraham, at the end of the day, he didn't get cute with it. He said, like, look, if this is, I'm willing to put everything on the line for the sake of God, his relationship with his son. What relationships might you have to put on the altar and raise your knife to it and see what God does? There are opportunities, business opportunities, jobs that you're like, yo, it looks good, but it might have some conditions, some catches to it that you're willing to look past, but that compromise your convictions, your vision, because, you know, I got to do what I got to do. Are you willing to put that on the altar? That's what dynamic faith does. And then in verse 22, we see, he says, you see, that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. He said, look, this is not an either or thing. Then, you know, earlier on it was like, well, you have faith, I have works. He says, no, it's not, it, that, that doesn't make any sense. His faith was active as he made the decisions he made and the choices he made 
His faith was completed by his works. You know, it's funny. I, yesterday I bought, we were in Philly, and I bought a couple um, Father's Day cards, one for my stepfather, one for my father-in-law, and then I left them. See, my, my, my action, my gesture was not, so they didn't get their Father's Day cards. They're sitting up still in Philly in some place. I don't know where they are. Now, again, going back to James's initial question, what good is that? It's not of no good to them. They did not get the card. They did not you know, get the greeting. Just because I had an intention that was unfulfilled and executing it to the point where they actually received it, that, that doesn't mean anything in terms of their experience of Father's Day. And in the same way, he's saying, look, dynamic faith, when the faith is accompanied by the work, it's completed, and that's when it comes to fruition. And that's what dynamic faith looks like. Now, dynamic faith also grows. And see, part of the challenge is, Abraham was not perfect by any stretch. If you look at the journey, if you read Genesis, you see that along the way there was this, he had baby mama drama. There was a sister named Hagar. And they got impatient Sarah and Abraham along the way and they said, well look, you just have sex with Hagar and you just have a kid by her and then that way you still have a child because they stopped believing that God would be able to do it. And God dealt with them and he worked with them and so his faith wasn't perfect but his faith was growing. Dynamic faith grows. This was a 25 year journey and the faith resulted in action Dynamic faith also results in action. That's the key part here. Dynamic faith does some stuff. It looks like action. So if you're wrestling, even in your seat, and go, man, is my faith dead or is it dynamic? Is it growing? You know, it's interesting, Natasha, you know, she was pregnant and we saw now that she has a child. If someone tells you that they are pregnant and you go back and six months later, they look exactly the same. And they're like, yeah, I'm still pregnant, you know, three months. And then you look three months later and they look exactly the same. You start to question some things. Because we intrinsically understand and know that if something is alive, it's growing. Faith that is dynamic grows. In verse 23, he moves on and says, and the scripture was fulfilled that day that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. He says, look, this was the result of Abraham's trust. It says that he, it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. This is what God responds to. This is what God enjoys and cherishes in his children when they believe and trust in him. But then he gives another example. He says, all right, so I gave you this Abraham, but you know, I, maybe the ladies might be feeling left out. We have some other examples in the scripture. And it says, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Now, I'm not going to get into the full story, but, you know, suffice to say, you can look um, in the book of uh, Joshua and check out all the details. But essentially, you have this woman who was known to be a prostitute who heard about the faithfulness of God among his people Israel and decided, hey, I heard about your God. I know y'all going to come over and, and, and take over this land. Hey, just remember me when you do, because I want to serve your God. And the amazing thing that happens is not only does, does Rahab's faith act in a way in which she put her life on the line because the other people, they, people saw that they came and hung out with Rahab. And so the people of Jericho was like, yo, where they at? Where they go? Tell us. And she put her own life on the line and her, her own life in her hands. And the bug thing is later on what we see is that she is Jesus's great, 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 great grandmother. She ends up settling with the people of God, worshiping with them, and her whole life changes as a result. And the amazing thing here is that God is not ashamed and embarrassed by your past. He can take that and still redeem it. 
He's like, you're not defined by what you used to do. That with dynamic faith has the ability to completely even change your identity and who you even are. So now this woman who was known for just selling her body is now known for giving birth, having a child, and it being in the lineage of the Savior? That's dynamic faith. And she was justified, and it was proven that she was, had authentic faith because of what she did. And in verse 25, is that, uh, I'm sorry, verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James kind of concludes using all of these analogies and all of these illustrations and gives us back to his basic point. Now, there's a little bit of a sticky issue here. And for a lot of, this is one of the most debated and discussed passages in the Bible. And it's even a passage that some people say, see, this is proof that the Bible contradicts itself. You're justified by works? Wait a minute, doesn't Paul say that we're justified by faith in Romans chapter three? And so here's the controversy. I'll put them line by line them up. James just said, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Paul says in Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Boom, got us. Maybe, maybe. But here's the issue. There's the same word that has different meanings, so compared to our context. And this is where it's important to learn. So he says, one, you see that James has been talking about that action and talking about what authentic faith looks like. Meanwhile, Paul is dealing with an entirely different topic when he's dealing with the issue of faith. He's talking about what makes us righteous before a holy God. And he's saying, look, it's not our works that make us righteous before a holy God. It's the fact that we authentically believe him. So, so they're talking, they're having two different conversations. So Paul's justified. This is how, what he means when he says justified in that passage. He's talking about how a sinner is made righteous by God. So this is the process that he says. He says, okay, you're a sinful person. How can a holy God, we were just thinking about how God is holy, which means his character is morally perfect, that he's a completely perfect judge, which means that if we have any sin in us, he has to judge us. And most faiths in the world, most religions, most people believe that if I'm just, I'm just a good person, and so if there's a heaven out there, then I get to go to heaven because of my resume. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. It's not that at all. That actually, if that were to be true, then God would not be a righteous judge. Because we all have done things offending his holy character and that hurt people. So he says, actually, the only means by which God has made us righteous is by faith. Now, what James is talking about is he's explaining how to know that that faith actually is in the person who has been justified. He says, it says how we know a sinner has been made righteous by God. In other words, he's talking about the quality of if it's dead faith or dynamic faith. He's not adding to faith to say, hey, you need these works in order to be saved. He's just describing and declaring this is what authentic faith looks like. I'm trying to help you out a little bit more. All right. So in the Bible, this is funny because I was going to pick out one example and then I just started thinking about the flood of basically everybody in the Bible that has authentic faith. You look at Abraham, well we just talked about him. You look at James, well we just saw that he, you know, he made that conversion and then all of a sudden went from a skeptic, one who didn't even believe that his brother was the savior, to one who ended up being the leader of the church and ultimately martyred for his faith. Paul, well, he used to persecute Christians and then God appeared to him in saving faith and now he began to write more of the New Testament than any other person, also martyred for his faith. Rahab, we just got finished talking about her. Mary, Peter, Sarah, Miriam, Moses, Deborah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Lydia, Mary Magdalene, David, Daniel, Esther, Gideon, Zacchaeus. Look at anybody in the Bible who has authentic faith and guess what? You see some work. They put in work. I can't find anybody in this book that has authentic faith and didn't do nothing. 
And that's essentially what James is saying. Authentic faith that's dynamic, it is active and it actually does some stuff. And it actually sacrifices and it actually submits to God's will and his authority and is devoted to him. Faith without works is dead, he says. Now, let me, let me just kind of paint this picture a little bit more, right? So I, people seem to you know, be helped by the chart last week that we made, and so I kind of decided to make another one to help you understand dead faith and dynamic faith. See, dead faith is just words. It says all the right things. Dynamic faith is words and actions. It not only believes and says the right things, but it does some stuff. Dead faith has the right doctrine, but dynamic faith has doctrine and devotion. Dead faith, like the demons, acknowledge who Jesus is, maybe, but dynamic faith submits to him as Lord. Dead faith depends on the self, ultimately, to say, hey, you know, it really isn't about what I believe anyway. It's more about just what I can do in my own strength. Dynamic faith depends on Jesus and says, you're all I got. You're the full basis of my righteousness. It's not on anything that I do, but it's all about what you have done. And the source of dead faith is ourselves, and the source of dynamic faith is the Savior. So essentially, it's not enough to say that you believe in Jesus. You must actually believe and trust in Jesus. It's not enough to say you believe in Jesus. You must actually believe and trust in him. What do I mean by that? There's a, there's a condition called carotid atherosclerosis. And I wanna demonstrate what that is. So, because it's a condition, everybody stand up for a second, if you can stand up. And carotid atherosclerosis is a condition where if you stand up for too long, it creates a, you can actually, you know, so people that work and stand up all out, you know, like those dudes in London with the, you know, the palace, and it can actually create a condition, a heart condition, that results in you getting blood clots in your legs, this is like, think varicose veins times 100, and you actually getting a heart attack and dying from standing up too much. Carotid, atherosclerosis. So imagine if I were a doctor and I were to say, look, you have this condition and the only thing that you can do to solve this problem is to sit down. But I heard that this, this seat couldn't hold me though. I don't know, I don't wanna sit and then try to fall and then you know, just collapse and embarrass myself. So I could say, I believe that this chair can hold me up. I have a medical condition that requires that I sit down or do something because the doctor just told me I could have this and, and have a heart attack and die. But how do I know that I actually believe that this chair, how do you know that you actually believe that the chairs that's behind you, that you trust them? Sit down. That's what authentic faith looks like. I can't just say I believe that the chair could hold me without actually sitting in the chair and trusting that it can hold me up. And the reality is that depending on our own righteousness, depending on our own selves, we'll end up in a condition similar to carotid atherosclerosis in which we're standing up and we're dying trying to stand on the weight of our own salvation, our own righteousness as opposed to what Jesus has done for us. As opposed to sitting and resting in the hope that we have in God. And the reality is I know a whole lot about dead faith because that was my experience for 17 years. You see, I, if you would have asked me when I was in high school, what I, if I would have said, yeah, I believe in God. I even put that on like the little SAT, like, you know, part where they ask you about faith and religion and stuff, so I thought that that meant it was real. But a scenario, but actually, what I really had was a belief in myself. 
I thought I was a good person, and because I was a good person, that meant that God was impressed with me because I got good grades in school, and I was nice to people. And then something happened. I, was, I, just, I won't give you the whole story for sake of time, but essentially, you know, they say that if you're not a player, then you can't brag about not having game, right? So I was in a scenario where I wasn't a player. I, I had no game, so therefore I could not be a player. But yet there were these two girls, even, you know, it says a, a broken clock is right twice a day. So there was these two girls that liked me, one in the school and one outside of the school, and I decided, you know, well, why not be with both of them? But here was the worst part. The one that was outside of the school, uh, you know, she had shared that she had issues with, you know, like she was, you know, with her body image and things like that, and so she kind of had negative self-esteem. And that was things that I had been encouraging her about and talking about, but then this one day this dude told me and convinced me, said, hey, your parents are away for the weekend, and uh, you're still a virgin, so you better do something about that or you're whack and you're corny. And so I used the very words and esteem that I had previously used to build her up to take advantage. Now, I justified, though, I'm like, yo, we're just going to be in a relationship. I just, even though I'm not really into her that much, at least I just commit to it. But then this girl in the school, I really was liking her. So then my heart just kind of gradually just went away. And so finally, eventually, this girl said, you know what? Are you seeing somebody? And I said, yeah. And she said, you're no better than other guys. In fact, you're worse because you think you're better than them. And she was absolutely right. And I was mind blown because I had believed my own hype that I was a good person. And I was just like, well, if there's a person in this world that has legitimate beef with me because I just used her, then what makes me think I, on my own standing, is okay with God? And I had no answer. So I remember telling the other girl, just kind of confessing, I was just depressed and I was just like, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm terrible. And I said, look, this is what happened. And I remember she said, oh, I, I forgive you. And I'm like, huh? Why? And she said, well, Jesus has forgiven me for everything that I have done. So how can I hold this against you? And I said, well, I don't know much about that, but tell me more. And I started going to church and I started hearing the gospel proclaimed for the first time. And all of a sudden, realizing that because of what Jesus did, I didn't have to stand on my own sense of righteousness. That he said, as far as the east is from the west, so far will I remove my sins from the person who trusts in me. And I remember hearing that message, and it, it, I couldn't, it was hard to believe because I had this guilt stain, and I just could not, no matter what, it was nothing I could do about it except trust in him. And I made that decision, I put that trust in him, and my life has never been the same. I still remember the day I was baptized, August 20th, 25th, 1995, and I remember going into that water and being like, wow, I'm coming out a new person. Like, my life is not my own, just like we sang. And from that point on, it's not been perfect. Like Abraham, I've definitely had my, my low light reels but what I can say is there's been a dynamic faith that has continued to transform my life and redeem those dark areas of me that are just broken. And I'm sharing that with you because this is the picture of what dynamic faith looks like. Dynamic faith believes in Jesus as Savior and it follows him as Lord. You can't have one without the other because Jesus said, Listen to what he said. He said, if any man would follow me, he must first take up his cross and follow me. That's, that's part of the process of what it means to believe in him as Savior is to realize I need to be saved partly from myself and even my own way of trying to do things and figure things out. And so it's just I have a simple question. Have you submitted your life to Jesus as Lord? Do you have dynamic faith that believes in trust? Or is it dead faith?
that says the right things, looks the right part, but is fake or maybe fickle, switching allegiances, or just simply not submitted to the one who says, come, I want everything. I want your life. I want your choices. I want your examples. And I'm going to reshape them and make them into what I have called them to be and you to be. Faith like this stands the test of time. It stands the test of hardships and brokenness. And maybe you're here today and you realize all, all your life and you've been at church and you've maybe even been a member here and, and you realize, wow, I, I don't have dynamic faith though. I, I, I don't have a faith that actually grows and, and, like, and, I, and I give God everything that I have and I submit him to him as Lord. Well, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. So if you just bow your head and just pray silently. I'll just pray this out loud. And if this prayer represents the, your heart and where you are, just feel free right where you're sitting to pray it. It says, my life is broken. I recognize it's because of my sin. I need you. I believe Christ came to, my, to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all and I will follow him with dynamic faith. Amen. Now, as we close, I just want to give you of an opportunity to respond, right? We've been talking a whole lot about faith that's real versus faith that's fake, and that dynamic faith does something. So I'm gonna ask you to do something that for some might be hard, and that is to come up, and if you prayed that for the first time and you prayed that authentically, to come up and be prayed with, with somebody at the prayer table right here. And we just wanna encourage you in that decision encourage you where you are or maybe but you might be here and you go you know what I, I, I follow Jesus but my faith hasn't been so dynamic as of late there have been little compromises and struggles and like I said it dynamic faith grows but it's not perfect and I want to encourage you to come up for prayer as well and just ask God for the strength to, to be bold and to be dynamic and be that type of, type of person that, like Abraham is willing to surrender all even the things that are most cherished and precious to you because I'm going to tell you something brothers and sisters if there is one thing in your life that you're having off limits to God then he is not your savior and lord if there's an area where you're like yo you can have all of this but not this you can never have this then he's not lord And so I want to invite you to just come up and pray and ask God for help. And you can write it down on the prayer cards or you can come up and receive prayer by the folks standing over there. But either way, let's worship God as we hear this song, as the praise team leads us. And let's let the Holy Spirit speak to us. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.